0: been a little bit since we've given vim love but now we have two excuses The first one being you can now play mario on vim it's a vim plugin how about that right it's so great it's it's so great it's a little rough but it is definitely no doubt about it mario and there's goombas in there and here's you're, you're jumping on them and i mean why not I, the real it gave us an excuse to talk about vim today which this week turned 29 years young how about that
1: almost 30 years of vim Happy birthday. And you know what? They're still going strong. The birthday announcement has a lot of good news about where Vim is going, what's happening, including a whole bunch of improvements to testing, reliability, and just nice features. Happy birthday, Vim. We talk a lot about Nano, the world's best editor. You know, I shoot down every time I try to add a story (laughs) to the doc. Slipped one in today, though. (laughs) I mean, it is the birthday.
0: Hello, friends, and welcome into your weekly Linux talk show. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes. Episode 378 of your Linux talk show is brought to you by a Cloud Guru, the leader in hands-on learning in the cloud for Linux and modern tech skills. Hundreds of courses, thousands of hands-on labs. Get certified, get started, get hired. Go to cloudguru.com. Wes, we have a lot to get into today. It appears that there may be a whole new way to build and distribute applications on Linux, and it's not Electron, Wes. What? That's right. They're native applications. And for so many years, we have heard the promise of write once, run everywhere. But it it may be that the stars have aligned, and just that has actually happened. I'm talking native applications for Windows, Mac, Linux, Android, from one tool. That's everywhere. I'll tell you about it more in a little bit. But of course, we've also got a bunch of community news to get into. And I, I mean, we have some big big batch like I, this is way too much we should have we should have trimmed this a it's little bit it's an irresponsible show but nevertheless we persist a little batch maintenance all I'm saying Wes. That's all I'm saying time appropriate greetings mumble room hello time hello appropriate greetings.
2: Hello. 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 hello Still the election
0: yeah it is election day hello virtual lug it is good to have you um cuz we do have some big news to get into today an untrimmed batch as as it were and we start with news about the raspberry Pi And a new version of it, a new faster version of it that is built into a keyboard. It's called the Raspberry Pi 400. It is a $70 Linux box that harkens back to the days of my childhood where I had a a computer that was built into the keyboard. It was much bigger than this that you could hook directly up to the television. Inside the Raspberry Pi keyboard, which is a product that has been shipping for a while, so if you've seen that, you know what this thing looks like, inside that now... And in a slightly larger version, they have built a full-fledged Pi
1: computer in that plastic keyboard. Oh, yeah. At the heart of the Raspberry Pi 400 is a 1.8 gigahertz ARM Cortex-A72. This quad-core chip is similar to last year's Raspberry Pi 4 that you know and love so well, Chris. but it is clocked to run slightly faster.
0: It has a slightly revved version of the Raspberry Pi 4 CPU chip. And that's interesting to note. Although it's only four gigabytes of RAM, they didn't go to the full eight gigabytes. Aww. Yeah, I would have liked to have seen that. There's also two micro HDMI ports, so you could actually connect this to two monitors at once, each up to 4K at a time. hey That's nuts. And it's not like they just put a Pi in this thing. Yeah, I mean, anyone could do that. We'll link you to a blog that did a teardown, but the Pi 400 is using a custom mainboard that is a form factor we've never seen for the raspberry pi before that sort of s- fills out the back end of this keyboard there's also a bit of uh, thermal work that's been done in there it it looks almost like just a regular raspberry pi keyboard until you until you look at the back of it and you will see there's still gpio pins there which i think is really interesting right you see the usb you see ethernet you see the micro sd card slot It looks like it's going to be pretty easy to get access to that thing, too. If you want to build something, you just
1: probably will need an adapter that can connect right into that space for the GPIO pins. Yeah, you know, I like that, because the Pi has always been this sort of, you know, craft-enabling project. Just because it's crammed into a keyboard here doesn't mean you no longer have that. And uh, I think this is a good quote by their founder, Eben Upton. Raspberry Pi has always been a PC company. Inspired by the home computers of the 1980s, our mission is to put affordable, high-performance Programmable computers into the hands of people all over the world. A couple of interesting things of note
0: here. I think the name Pi 400 tells us that there will likely be a Pi 500 and a Pi 600 when there's a Pi 5 and a Pi 6. Yeah, that's, that's a natural evolution. Right. Maybe it's just slightly delayed from the main board. Like we see, we almost see a bit of a potential release cadence coming up here. First, you release the main Raspberry Pi, so the Raspberry Pi 5. Then, six to nine months after that, You release the compute board. And maybe you don't do this for every Pi model, but you know, I You know, pick standout ones, yeah. Right. And then a few months after that, the all in one. The other thing that this strikes me here is this is just the keyboard. It ships, you can get it with a kit for $100 that comes with a mouse and a guy. Oh, nice. And a a pre flashed Raspbian or Raspberry Pi OS. So basically everything that you need right there. And I did actually pre order the kit. What? It might be, it might, I think, make for a really great Christmas gift. I haven't picked who yet, but. It, maybe it's me. <laughs>
1: and yeah. Worst case, you just always got like an extra little computer ready to go laying around.
0: Yeah. Like, like and you know what's funny about this is often one of the things that, and you know this is true. One of the things we're looking around the studio for is a keyboard. No kidding. I think we've had to re- resort to hooking up like an unused Mac keyboard on the server in this, in the, in the disgraceful. It is, yeah. So there is that advantage to it, but not everybody is like me where they have more monitors than keyboards. So it makes me wonder if we won't see a future all-in-one, kind of like an iMac, but instead it's a Raspberry Pi. Oh, but just powering the whole thing, and wow. And when you get the kit, maybe it comes with the Raspberry Pi keyboard that looks like this, but without the computer in it. I would like to see something like that, because that would actually make a more compelling gift for my
1: kids. Yeah, and it's simple. You don't have to think about it. There's no other matching or figuring out, you don't know what kind of monitor you need or how to hook it up. Right. Not a problem. Maybe that'll be the Pi 800 with eight gigs of RAM,
0: Right. You're going to pre-order that next. Yeah. (laughs) I just want something nice like a 1080p decent-sized screen, you know? Put it like a 20-inch monitor, 21-inch monitor. That'd be just right. I I wonder if they're not going this direction. We we recently talked on Linux Action News about, um, and we talked about on this show too, about Ubuntu 2010 focusing their desktop support, the full-fledged GNOME shell desktop version of Ubuntu on the Raspberry Pi 4.
1: Yeah, that's pretty cool.
0: Well, guess what now just works out of the box? Right here.
1: It's a natural choice. Yeah.
0: I think Canonical has an idea of where the Raspberry Pi Foundation is taking this. And I think that was part of why with 2004, they got base server support working. And I can testify that it works well. I have it running on like four Raspberry Pis. (laughs) And then with 2010, they got the desktop side. And we looked at it and we said, well, this doesn't make a lot of sense. It seems a little slow. It seems like a lot when you could just run Mate or XFCE. Right, But when you start to see this strategy emerge, and this thing's a little bit faster. It's
1: going to get faster because it's probably going to keep going. Mm -hmm. When
0: the next Ubuntu LTS comes around, something tells me there'll be a Raspberry Pi device that runs it just fine. And Canonical will have been there for years in these interim releases, getting that support nailed down.
1: It'll be a standard platform by then.
0: Yeah, uh, and it's a safe bet that there's going to be more t- devices like this. They're not slowing down. Uh, and I think it's going to sell well. Uh, I w- it was one of those news announcements where I-, I got a lot of people that said, hey, did you see this? And of course, because of the time zone differences, it, it came out um, during our nighttime Although I wasn't I hadn't wasn't able to sleep that night, so I actually jumped on the pre-order right away. I you was up are and a
1: news hound. <laughs> I
0: was I got on it. And then and then I woke up when I went to bed, and I got like an hour solid, hour 45 minutes of sleep. I woke up to just tons of messages from people on the East Side that had woken up and seen the news and wanted to Chris, make sure, it, "Have
1: you heard?"
0: which I appreciate. I think that's great. You know, when a story like that breaks, it gives me an idea of the interest in the audience when I hear from a bunch of people Absolutely. tell me about it. And I I also am excited about it. So I I jumped on it. I and I'll give you a full review. I paid for it with my own hard-earned money um, because uh, I don't want to, uh, um, you know, I don't, I don't need a review. I don't want to own it, and I want to give you a full review. And So whoever gets it's going to get it with, a, with the box already being opened once, but that's the price they have to pay, Wes. Uh, we have uh, some links to the teardown, which is really interesting. It's a much wider board. It, it, yeah. it runs about 65%, 70% the length of the keyboard, where a traditional pie would just take up a small portion of that. Sort of squashed and stretched it out. The technical difference between the Raspberry Pi Four that you probably already own or have already heard about and the version that's shipping today in the Pi Four Hundred is just essentially a rev on the chip. And it's available. It's it's obvious in this in this teardown. the The model has just changed by a couple of numbers, and it is capable of essentially hitting better performance at better thermals. And it appears to have a few software-level bug fixes that the already shipped version that's also on the Raspberry Pi compute uh, have but are obviously not super issues. But, you know, you you get some things in production. You make some tidies. You make a revision on the chip. You get better thermals. You have less bugs and slightly better performance. And that all kind of came together here. And there's more information in the show
1: notes. but. Nice to see it. I, w- I would love eight gigs. Yeah, that would be that would be a big one because at that level, I feel like I'd be I'd be feel pretty comfortable, especially just as another computer. Maybe it's attached to a TV somewhere in my home, or just laying around if I need a backup or I have a guest.
0: It also clearly clearly signals that they are interested in people using the Pi as a desktop. Well, we've kind of been
1: debating over mm-hmm. the years, like when is it going to get there to really make sense, at least not in a I can only afford a pie, but if you you yeah. know, when is it just usable? Yeah, when is it no longer a compromise and right. it's just like, why
0: would you pay for anything more? And when you start to kit it out like this as a bundle for a hundred dollars, there's a lot of family members that just need email. They want access to a few websites. That would really work for them. I personally feel like the performance isn't there, I think, to the degree that they seem to be signaling. But if they're building these the units, they're clearly interested in that. They have the Raspberry Pi OS where they can continue to, to build and evolve a lower resources desktop that right. performs well. So we'll see more, I think. It's, it's really interesting. I myself would buy one of these and, and probably throw Manjaro or Ubuntu on there myself. Um, with probably a, a lead towards Manjaro just because the improvements are going to come in quicker from upstream. You love that, Roland. I do. Speaking of Manjaro, Phil from Manjaro joins us to give us a couple of updates on things including an upcoming Nibia release. So what is the details here? Welcome, Phil.
3: Hello, hello. Great to be back. So, um yes, uh, also I got on the Raspberry Pi train and have also ordered two of the 400s. <laughs> Did you? And and yes, we know about Ubuntu that it's not as fast, uh, so we try to get it faster. Uh, We will try it with KDE, as we did that with uh, um, Pinebook Pro already. And maybe we go also even crazier and try Deepin, Mm. because that is the real new thing. I don't know how it works, but maybe I will try that out. Uh I've had a
0: fascination with Deepin. It's come up a lot between Wes and I off-air recently about talking more or trying it more, but I just haven't gotten around to it. But I do like the idea of Plasma, too, because... In my opinion, it scales surprisingly well to a range of hardware. You would think it only works on high-end stuff, but surprisingly, they've put a lot of work into making KWIN work pretty efficiently on lower-powered hardware. Oh, yeah. I'll keep an eye out for that. Uh, But that's not uh, Nibia. What, What is Nibia?
3: Uh, Nibia is the new uh, release we're planning uh, is 20.2, which is uh, the successor of Mika. We will update the kernel to 5.9, have the latest Plasma on it. This would be the 5.20.3 when it's out. And of course, we have uh, done a lot of work in the GNOME uh, section. So we will have uh, maybe uh, Blymos working again and some... Uh, set up like OEM so the user can uh, simply choose to configure it uh, on the PC when he gets it. So if you have uh, some old people or friend and you want to install a Manjaro on it, you can simply partition everything, get everything ready and then give him uh, the complete computer and he can set up his user and all his settings. By my own, so maybe this will be boost up also the usage of the GNOME edition, and maybe if that uh, is good, then we might extend it to uh, the other editions like Xfce and KDE as well.
0: Yeah, that's great to hear. I've over the last few weeks, I've kind of been making a transition back to GNOME Shell, and so that's really good to hear that. Now you said something there, I got to ask you about because we've been trying to figure out what is going on with Kernel 5.9 and nvidia driver support because i've seen there's an nvidia driver update but it's not clear if they've solved the 5.9 gpl condom issue or not it sounds like you're shipping 5.9 so you've probably been looking at this
3: well, we will ship it. And we already tested the community gave us feedback. So CUDA is working again, you can use Blender again, and also Darktable. So it seems they fixed it. But I wonder myself as well, because they didn't announce it that it's fixed. So I only see the, the last message like uh, mid November, you will have a fixed version. So it seems they made it already early November. So uh, good for them. But hmm. uh, communication is a little bit broken, it seems.
0: Yeah, that's interesting that they wouldn't have made an announcement about it, but it there was the update, and CUDA does seem to be working with 5.9, which was the key problem. And it would appear they really turned that around. I mean, I guess they had a heads up about this whole thing, but I guess I go back to the old days of Linux when a younger Chris was running Linux, and I, I could see myself waiting around six, seven months before a vendor would get off their duff and fix something and here it almost seems like Nvidia not only got it out relatively fast for a, for a large company but they are almost they're almost like not addressing it like they don't even want to talk about the fact that it was an issue they don't want there to be any concern they don't want anybody to worry about it
3: yeah, the community uh, the t- uh, taught them otherwise, and they had to react. So there was even two announcements: one in the graphics section, and one is the customer section that uh, Five Nine was not working after the community spoke up. So right. I don't know what it is. Yeah,
0: they made a big. They, they did make it clear it wouldn't work, but now they haven't made it clear that it would work, and maybe something's forthcoming still. But or maybe they just don't want to raise a lot of attention to it. Well, uh, I will keep my eye out for Nibia, especially for the uh, GNOME Shell version. That sounds pretty good. I've also seen people showing pictures of their Manjaro Edition Pine phones arriving. Ooh. I've seen a lot of that. That's, so it seems like people are getting them already.
3: I even got an, uh, an update from someone. He got a phone, uh, everything branded with Manjaro, and uh, he popped it up and he saw a postmarketer. So I don't know what's going on there, but oh. <laughs> I linked him the factory image, so maybe he can test it out and uh, get the proper image on it. But... Things happen. At least uh, the branding version is out and uh, everything is working. And uh, what I also know is it's now the 1.2.b uh, version, which has also stabilized uh, the, the screen. So it's a small fix, uh, but uh, it's visible. Very good.
0: Well, congratulations. I think that's, I mean, it's a big deal to actually get those out there. XMN in the chat room says that he got his. I wonder if it had Manjaro on it <laughs> or post but looks like they're getting out there. So if you do get some, put them them up somewhere on Reddit or social media or something. We'd love to see it. We do. Yeah, tag us. Let us see it. Or drop it in the uh, Telegram group, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash Telegram. And uh, tag me so I can see it in there. Because I I love it when people get new hardware and I'd love to hear people's impressions of it. Well, Phil, thanks for joining us. And congrats on the updates. And uh, join us again soon when you got uh, some news, okay?
3: Sure, sure, we'll do,
0: and uh, it's great to have me as well. I bet, yeah. Uh, So we have some more kernel news. Uh, This is looking ahead a little bit. Here we're talking about uh, 5.9, which most people don't even have yet, and um, 5.10, which is supposed to be a pretty great release. We talked about that recently. And we're going to go one even further out. We're going to talk about 5.11. And the reason why I want to do this is I want to make the point that there's just a lot of good stuff coming down the pipeline for Linux users some fruit company, is going to have an announcement next week. Oh, yes. And um, actually, all kidding aside, I'm sure Apple's going to have some pretty impressive machines to show. But I I want to remind you that OS is a bit stale as a platform. Yes, you can put lipstick on Big Sur and make it more touch-friendly, but the underlying pinnings, they haven't really updated the Unix user land really much ever. They just kind of drag it along to the latest versions that they can consume from the BSD projects. It certainly doesn't feel like it's a priority. No, I mean, um, it really does. It feels like, it's funny, it feels second class now even compared to Windows command line capabilities, right? Because with WSL and the new Windows terminal, when you open up the macOS terminal, it's this little white box with yep. bad fonts yep. and a weird shell, and it's just... Really basic. And there's been no effort. And you really, on a Mac, to make it work, you need to go get iTerm. And everyone does. It's- you need to install Brew. And I just want to remind everyone that there's still a lot of really good stuff coming up for us Linux users. Not only are our desktop environments getting more kick-ass than ever. And I, can, I feel like I can say that, having watched this for a long time. But the core stuff that's coming in the kernel... It's never been better for us desktop users. We are getting taken care of in a way that I honestly didn't expect. After years of the cloud being the dominant force for Linux and then Android coming along, I really was worried that at a kernel level, us desktop users would just be the lowest priority. But there are several projects that are landing in 5.9 and also landing in 5.10 that I'm really looking forward to. And now we have something in kernel 5.11. And I'm going to take a guess that they're, the name is pronounced Collabra, Collabora. We've talked about them before, uh, and they've been doing work on the Linux kernel recently on behalf of Valve. So so stick with me here. So we're talking about kernel 510. Sort of coders for hire over at Collabora have been hired by Valve to improve Linux gaming, particularly around the things like the Proton compatibility layer. So, that's what they're sponsoring work again for is something around the compatibility layer. And one of the big missing pieces right now with Proton games on Linux that has, it sort of has curbed some of the enthusiasm, if you will, is anti cheat and DRM technology that's in some of these games. It, it can just entirely break Windows games in Wine and Proton. And we talked about this once before, Wes, on the show. And we said, unfortunately, it looks like. One of the ways to fix this requires modifying the kernel, and I said,
1: well, that's never going to (laughs) happen. Turns out, uh, maybe it will. This is some good info uh, from a talk over at the Open Source Summit by Gabriel Crisman Bertazzi on the state of Linux gaming, and one of the key points that he made was system call emulation and the adding that functionality, because unfortunately, it's just often required because these DRM and anti-cheat systems are actually issuing system calls directly from the Windows game code. And that ends up bypassing Wine. Wine doesn't capture those system calls, and then the games often crash.
0: Yeah. And there's really nothing we can do about that unless there's something answering those system calls. Yes.
1: So actually, you know, they tried a user space solution at first, which would have been simpler and wouldn't have required changing the kernel, but unfortunately that was still tripping up DRM and anti-cheat systems and also wasn't great for performance, so they've ended up creating the syscall user dispatch, which has been specifically made in the kernel to deal with these emulated needs. Isn't that interesting? It is because it could have wider ramifications beyond
0: gaming when it comes to emulating Windows software here. And I think it should be clear, it's not about trying to bring the Windows world to Linux. They addressed this in the talk. They're just trying to ease emulation so where that crossover does happen, it works on Linux as good and rock-solid as a Linux application could. But what what it seems has happened is they've kind of expanded to a wider set of what they call pain points of Linux gaming including device bring-up, solving file system issues, improving performance in other areas of the system. They have a team looking at some of the scheduling stuff that maybe could be optimized in future kernel releases as well. So all of this stuff works better. And you got to think, if if a game plays a little bit better because of some performance improvements in the system and in the file system, Well, then a lot of other things are going to work better too. Yeah. Probably even your web browser is going to work better, right? So this could have, this could have a lot of nice improvements for Linux users that are, regular
1: desktop users not even playing video games. Absolutely. And, you know, it's just nice to sign of this healthy, continued collaboration, right? Like, it wasn't just that Proton happened and it was a big dump, throw, you know, stuff thrown over the wall, pushed out there, and then kind of left. It's been actively developed, and now we're in that rich stage of more advanced secondary problems and smoothing that can happen like these changes. If this, what Valve has decided to invest their resources
0: and money into instead of Steam boxes. okay with that, (laughs) right? way better decision. And I wonder (laughs) if that wasn't the calculation. Because the Steam boxes seem like they're gone, right? They do, yeah. Linux gaming is is more exciting than ever. And some of this could land in 5.11. So thank you to Collabora, thank you to Valve and the kernel developers who help integrate this stuff. Man, am I stoked about that. Now, another thing, just a quick one here that we talked about a little while ago is after Gnome Shell... 3.3.8, 3.3.8, that's the end of the 3 series. But I don't know if you recall this part. You might. The solution is, instead of going to GNOME 4, which is what we've expected forever, sure, since right. it was, I
1: mean, we're on 3 now, so we, four. We
0: were We were on GNOME 2, and then we got GNOME 3, and then we thought we'd get GNOME 4, and now what we're getting is GNOME 40. And it looks like we actually have
1: some dates now attached to GNOME 40, buckle up. Yeah, it's slated for release on March 24th, 2021. And, you know, actually, they've simplified the development cycle along with the uh, version change there because there will no longer be four development milestones released before you get to beta, only three, with uh, an alpha, a beta, and a release candidate. Huh. Is that what you say? Yeah. I I, I actually think they're going to get some
0: nice efficiency out of that, and it solves, like, all these weird, like, considerations, and we talked about the logic in a previous show, but it means the final release of GNOME 40 is set for March 24th, which is just in time, March 24th, 2021. Of course. Which is just in time for Ubuntu 2104, which is due for release on April 22nd,
1: and Fedora 34, which is due for release on April 27th. Interesting. Yeah, you know, I hope this goes well, and I always, it seems boring, but I always like to see some of these, you know, development improvements. Investing in the process itself, I think, is another sign of a a healthy project that's trying to enable better development. Tyler, you point out that also lines up nicely with some other important releases. Yes, so with the new versioning, it means that GNOME 42 is going to line up with Ubuntu 2204 which means that the next Ubuntu LTS will have a desktop that is the answer to life, the universe, and everything. Gnome <laughs> home,
0: Shell 42 better be a real winner, <laughs> you
1: know? Right. Fingers crossed. Yeah.
0: So there you go. So that's when you hear these large numbers coming at you in the near future, that's what's going on. We knew it was coming. It's going to be all right. Just prepare yourself. Uh, now, anybody want to take the over-under on uh, in how many years they work, they're work? trying to work themselves out of this crazy numbering convention? Maybe once they get to 100. Yeah, that's a natural point right there. Yeah. Then they start at Roman numerals. Gnome Shell X. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, this is going to get confusing. <laughs> Linode.com slash unplugged. Go there to get a $100 60-day credit towards a new account. And you go there to support the show. Linode is our cloud server provider, and because the price is so great, it makes it possible for a small team to have killer infrastructure. We have just kick-butt fast systems that that would have just required crazy expensive systems back in the rack and stack it day. And so much planning and development, we don't have time for that. Great point, great point. One of the things that as a Linux user I love about Linode is they've got like all the distros you'd want, the Alpine's. Arch, recent CentOS releases, Debian releases. Of course, they have Fedora 33 on there and other Fedora releases. Same with OpenSUSE and Ubuntu. You choose. You can really, and they also have pre-built systems if that's your style. Yeah, right. Depending on like if you're doing a stack script or, a, or an image, is you can actually swap out the distro for the pre-built thing you want. Oh, so that's neat. If you want to use Debian instead of. OpenSUSE, you just choose that and then generate it. Pick the one you're more comfortable with. Yeah, you know, they started in 2003 as one of the first companies in cloud computing before AWS because they saw what Linux could do as Linux users. And that kind of speaks to me, too, is I really saw what Linux could do when I was in IT. And I pivoted from the Windows line of things over to the Linux line of things. And it's because I saw where this was going. And Linode was, like, way ahead of the game, way before AWS, and they're independently owned, too. So they didn't have to go get a bunch of VC funding, which just said go crazy, hire like nuts, build out all this infrastructure, get all this debt, and then sell yourself. Instead, they built it up themselves, and they own it. And they're dedicated to offering the best virtualized cloud computing out there. If it runs on Linux, it runs on Linode. So I want to encourage you to take advantage of our $100 60-day credit. You go to linode.com slash unplugged. You support the show. You get a $100 60 day credit towards a new account. Well, isn't that kind of nice? So, Linode.com slash unplugged. Thank you to Linode for sponsoring the Unplugged program. And thank you to everybody who goes to our sponsor page, lets them know you heard about it here, and tries out their offers. Linode.com slash unplugged. So, I teased it at the beginning of the show, but there is a platform that is super interesting that I always thought would be really great if it came to Linux. And then I got an email about the Windows calculator getting ported over to Linux, like the open source. Yeah. And I thought, well, how how does this work? And what did it take to get this Uno platform on Linux? Because one of its tricks is it's not like an Electron-based setup. What it is is native applications on each destination host OS. And I, I figured to get that to work on Linux, that must have been quite the journey. So I had their CTO from the Uno platform come on the show. Hey,
4: so I'm Jerome. and uh, the CTO at Uno platform.
0: And Jerome and I went through a couple of things, like what it took to get Uno over here. We talked about his Linux setup a little bit, the feedback he got from the Linux community, the technology stack that they used, the reaction to choosing snap packages and how they handled that feedback as a company that was new to the Linux community, that's all in there. So I started with Jerome by congratulating him on the Uno platform and the big release that I think was more than a year in the making for Linux. Yeah, thank
4: you. It was an
0: amazing one, a great, great response from the community. Good, good. Well, so I'm pretty new to the Uno platform, and I was doing a little digging around, and I saw the first commit was by you on May 7th, 2018, and now here we are in October of 2020, And the Windows calculator has been essentially ported to Linux using the Uno platform. And that caught my attention. So
4: can you explain to me what the Uno platform is? Sure. So the Uno platform is a uh, developer tooling, uh, and, and framework that allows for developers that know about C sharp and XAML. Uh, so the, the Windows, the main Windows development toolkit that's, uh, that's uh, for Windows developers to basically take their code and port it over to iOS, Android, uh, WebAssembly, Mac OS, uh, Windows 7 in some cases and, uh, and Linux. So that's a lot of platforms to, to target, but that, that's the basic idea. And, we meant to make sure that people can reuse their skills that they have, you know, mostly on Windows. But you know, now with the interest of Linux, you know, being able to target one platform and then have it run over to the others uh, without changing much.
0: Well, it seems like there's been a dozen or more promises over the years of a single code base. <laughs> yes, but like a lot of times, the the downside seems to be. Generally, it may be one or two things, uh, potentially performance, but often you sacrifice what I would say like a native UI experience. So mm-hmm. as Linux users will often kind of get left out in that scenario. Uh, does, does the Uno platform address that differently?
4: Uno platforms was originally built for iOS and Android. And there's always, you know, two sets of people. There's the ones that want to have a, the same UI everywhere. And there are other people that do want to have, uh, you know, close to the platform and have some tweaks around to be able to run on those devices. So let's say um, uh, that if you are on iOS, you want to have the the iOS UI, and Android, you want to have the, the the Android UI specific for the, for that one. Uh, the problem that is that um, in in some of the frameworks that are, are doing this uh, React Native is kind of close to that. For instance, uh, is that you only can do that, and then if you want to do some custom drawing, then it gets difficult. So what we what we did with uh, with the UMA platform, and we took what Microsoft has been doing for a while with uh, with the XAML tooling, and extended it to be able to do what is called um, lookless control. So let's say if you want to create a button, then in your markup or whatever that you're using, then you create your button and then underneath you can style it to use whatever the platform provides or your own style if you want to. So if you're running on iOS, you're going to have your native button or toggle switch or checkbox or whatnot, or you can change that style of that button that that you've put in your code and then it can render to Whatever your fancy designers are going to be wanting to have, like a you new know, video button or whatever. So that's the kind of things. The two ways to to render.
0: I see. So and that happens at build time of the project. It it renders out each native UI.
4: No, it it really it really is at at runtime. So oh, okay. uh, you can actually switch. We have a we have a demo somewhere that that shows that you can basically have a button and then you can change the style of the button or the checkbox or or whatnot uh, at runtime. So you can. You data bind it to change it, change it visually so that it, it looks the way you want to. So it's not really useful to change that style at runtime, but you can have a default style if you want to, uh, for one specific page. And then for another page, you can have something else. So that's the kind of things that, that, that happens. And on the Linux side, does that target? Say like uh, a single toolkit like GTK or Qt. Yeah, so that that's where I'm talking about. There's a second way to, to look at that. So, uh, so the first the first way is we're using the, what the native primitives of the platforms are, are able are able to provide us. So let's say uh, the ability to draw uh, a combo box or a rectangle, or something like that, but using the platform primitives. So we're instructing iOS or Android to draw a rectangle the way a native Android and iOS application would do, and then. Uh, when we're going to the other platforms, people are asking us, I want to be able to draw by the pixel. So, you know, some of the, those users and not all, not all of them. So I want to draw by the pixel. So what we said is, okay, so let's build a, um, uh, you know, by the pixel renderer or backend rendering system that allows to take the same thing that we're doing on the other platforms that are not specific to the platform. So let's say if you want to render a button that has specific corners, a uh, text inside. That is the same everywhere, but we're going to be using Skia, so the rendering engine that um, Chrome uses to render itself. We we we're using this to to render the applications on Linux for now.
0: Oh, fascinating!
4: But that doesn't mean that we're going to stay there. You know, it's one of the rendering methods that we're using. So, for instance, uh, so and, and that means for that matter, so that your application on that for now, let's say the calculator, the Windows calculator that we put it over, that one is really. Not using any of the, of the, uh, GTK primitives to render a button or text or something like that. It's really drawing a canvas and pixel uh, and pixel one by one. So that, that's what's happening right now. But we have the ability to change that and, and use another thing. So let's say if we were to be having someone that says, well, I really want to have a GTK rendering backend or a cube rendering backend or any kind of rendering backend that, that would make sense. Then it's possible to do that and actually use those control there so it's a, it's an effort to do that and we're not there yet but uh, the point was to be able to say well we're able to run that kind of ui natively-ish if you will because we're rendering every pixel but we're use it's not a, an electron app for instance it really is an application running as a gtk shell we're, we're using and we're actually using a gtk shell the the window itself is, uh, is built uh, upon gtk ah very good and i think maybe that's uh, one of the key differentiators here isn't it
0: is You can take advantage of, it sounds like, Skia, which is part of Chrome, but that doesn't mean we're using Electron here. No, 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 not at all, not at all. (laughs) Yeah. That's really fascinating. So I wanted to zoom out a little bit. Uh This is relatively new for the Uno platform. This is kind of it's and also porting the Windows calculator, which is pretty <laughs> like that's the current Windows 10 calculator. That's pretty great. It is. <laughs> and that's a great tech demo. So uh, what were the challenges coming over to Linux? And before you answer that, I'm also curious, why now? Why? Why put the effort into supporting Linux now in October? Of, well, I'm sure you started sooner, but why now?
4: <laughs> we actually did sorry sooner it's actually a, a a year old of effort okay. uh we because we we had a few a few technical uh, challenges to make sure that it's not the linux support itself it was all about uh, making sure that the net platform was running properly uh and on on linux and uh, many of those things uh, have been evolving the last year uh, but most of the tech challenges for us was on Uno itself, you know, to restructure it properly so that it actually supports all the platforms at once, uh, and and what happens then is that for us, uh, adding the Skia backend support was akin to uh, modifying the WebAssembly support. So the the WebAssembly support for for Uno uh, shares, I think, it is something like close to ninety percent of the code is the same as the one that is used for 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 the Skia rendering backend. So it's very very close fascinating. Okay. I think really kind of
0: uh my last question is uh, what what scope of applications do you see uh the Uno platform being the the right solution for? What what scale of applications?
4: The first commit that you see publicly on on the Uno platform uh the GitHub the the open source repo uh is dating from uh, 2018, but it actually it actually started uh in 2013. So so it's been a while that we've been developing this. And, uh, most of the applications that we we have been doing on iOS and Android, uh, are actually consumer grade applications and they're actually quite big. So we're talking, uh, movie theater, mo- movie theater, uh, drugstores, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, there's a national ge- geographic application that uses, that, w- that is used to, uh, for people that, that are non-native speaker, English speakers to learn, uh, English. So that kind of, you know, large application that, that, that are interesting. But now, that we've expanded that with the web and with uh, Mac OS and, uh, and Linux. We're seeing people that are getting interest into making very, you know, a lot larger application, uh, uh like, uh, you know, line of business applications, you know, the one that have, you know, ugly interfaces sometimes or have nice interfaces, but lots of screens to, to show. So that's the kind of thing that we're looking at. And, uh, you know, we were making large, lots of progress for that. And for the Linux part specifically, that that's that's where it gets interesting. A lot of people have been asked, uh, asking us, "Well, I want to be able to run uh, on Linux specifically because I want to do IoT, uh, IoT, or I want to do uh, very specific things with uh, my uh, Linux-only server that runs something for my research project, or whatever, and I cannot run something else." So that's the kind of thing that that that, that we are we're seeing, and and uh, you know. It, but they know about C sharp and they want to to make that application run over, or, <laughs> sure. or they 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 want to target both the web and the Linux because they want to have something that deploys very easily and don't want to bother with any kind of stores. So that's the kind of story that we're seeing there. And uh, adding Linux support for it is uh, you know, and I've been doing Linux for. I started on Linux on the first Red Hat release that was there in uh, early 20, uh, I think it was 1999 something. So it dates back. So it's kind of a, you know, dear heart for me. Uh, it's, it's been a while. Uh, and so getting all that running, can you circle back to Linux after all this time? It's uh, it's it's uh, it's really nice to see all those people to get like interest into, uh, into having applications running there. I bet. Well, now I have to ask, do you have a current Linux box? And if, if so, what's the setup? I'm running mainly on Windows for now. Uh, I'm actually I have multiple things. So I, I have a, a mix of Linux boxes. They're, they're running for, uh, for IOT stuff that I have on my machine. My machine's a Windows 10, but I have multiple WSL, uh, setups that are installed <laughs> there. So I can test with all the yep. different distros there. Uh, I have, uh, I have a, an Ubuntu machine that's actually a Raspberry Pi running on it, uh, plus a bunch of <laughs> other stuff with uh, build machines for the calculator specifically. So uh, they're running on uh, Ubuntu servers, <laughs> so lots of things.
0: <laughs> that sounds like a pretty pretty typical developer setup. It's always there's always a, a, a range <laughs>
4: of machines, and uh, exactly plus a Mac, so because they're doing iOS stuff.
0: <laughs> sure, it's interesting to hear WSL getting a workout. I think kind of how Microsoft intended it to be used. Uh, so that's fascinating.
4: Yes, yes, and and you know, it, it, with with regards to developers, it's it's all about you know expanding horizons and. I see, I see macOS users, you know, they want to go and, and use Windows. They don't, they don't, they want, they don't want to you know, be left out with their own tooling that they that were Unix like, Unix like. So they, they're, they're doing, they're using WSL for that. But there are other users that, you know, just plain Windows users, but they have, you know, fancy tooling that comes from, uh, from Linux and they can use it that way without, uh, without having to install a, or maintain a Linux box because maybe that's not their main, main way to develop that or, you know, playing just Linux users that say, "Well, I have a, a, Windows, a Windows box and I don't want to do anything with it, just gaming." But you know, I like my tooling, <laughs> so I can use that there. So that's the kind of things. Jerome, you're sort of sitting in a
0: fascinating position as a, as a developer. Sounds like you've been in the Linux community in one form or another for a very, very long time. You've seen the transformation that Microsoft is making. Uno Platform relies on some fundamental Microsoft technologies. Also, uh, I think you guys have a relationship to some degree with Canonical. This is mm-hmm. being distributed as a snap package. Yes. This is um, almost almost a, a unicorn position in a sense, but I think <laughs> one that's going to become a lot more common. So. I don't know maybe you're not the first to this little this quadfecta that we have here but it seems like this is maybe the new reality and from where you're sitting as a long time linux user I'm curious on your thoughts of where we're at right now with all this
4: To be very honest I uh, the last the last couple of years uh, let's say 3 or 4 years I didn't follow all the details about the packaging the packaging stories and uh I discovered that there's quite a few new ones, uh, and and I use Snap in in, a, in one way or another. And you know, I I stayed on the RPM and APT for a very long time, so that that was my my way of deploying applications without any store. And there's always multiple ways to do things in Linux. <laughs> there's always and and but what surprised me is the the community's response to Snap specifically, and um, the fact that. It's not so. There, there's there's the technology itself, but there's the fact that it's also all about having something with a, kind of a centralized way of doing things. It's not about canonical or anything like that. It's just I want to be able to install my things by myself. You know, I don't want to someone to to spy on me, or maybe tentatively spy on me, because that's not the case for the calculator. But you know, let's say, and uh, uh, so that's that's the kind of things that it's all about choice. And you know, seeing that, I said, well, I'm going to try to do a, a nap image of, uh, of of the calculator. So there's a nap image of the calculator now. <laughs> You're saying you got a lot of feedback. I take it. I did. I did <laughs> have a lot of feedback, and and oh. uh, I, I I read all of it. You know, kind of skim through because there's you know snarky comments and you know so. Skimming, <laughs> sure, but sure. anyways, it, the the, uh, the interesting part is that knowing about the the preferences about of, of, of people and and what's available, I, I see Snap as a, being a very easy, com, uh, you know, commodity way of installing things. Yeah, same thing as you know, a flat pack would be the same the same way. But the 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 idea is that people that are not new to that that are new to that space and using Linux, for for better or worse, they're accustomed to. You uh, installing application in a simple way from a user interface. And, uh, and I, I reckon that people, you know, that are, you know, the, the same ones that, that they're going to be uh, installing Arc Linux or, 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 or that kind of, uh, that kind of distribution that you, you, there's no UI and you install everything by you know, the command line and knowing all, all the, all the, the options by heart. Uh, they don't want to have that kind of things. And that makes sense. So that's why being able to have a vi- wide variety of, of ways to install packages is important.
0: Would you say that uh, the use of snaps is more controversial than, say the use of of mono or, or anything to that regard from the Microsoft side? It seems like it was pretty strong feedback, and maybe I also wonder if if it wasn't for your long time Linux experience that helped you convert that into actionable items versus like, oh gosh, we've upset everybody
4: no, no, no not at all, not at all and I mean <laughs> to be to be honest on that part, because we've been introducing uh, the Microsoft side of it, you know for in in many ways so let's say people have been so i'm going to show you the 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 wide range of responses that we got that on the ios community oh this is c sharp oh, this is not a native application and where it actually is but it looks different it's not the same or you know it's not objective c code so i'm not going to use it so that's the ios part on android they say oh that's not the kind of application that i want and it's it's having you know people are developing things because they want to go faster they say oh the the ui looks like ios i don't want it So that's the kind of response that we can also get from that one. Then on the WebAssembly side, we say, Oh, WebAssembly, that's, that's not good. I mean, it's something (laughs) that, uh, that looks, that it's not JavaScript. So it sucks. So I'm not going to use it. That's the kind of responses that we get from communities because you're kind of an outsider (laughs) of looking at that. So, and and that's fine. So it's, it's all about adjusting the, adjusting uh, how we present things and. I was pretty sure we were going to get some kind of feedback in, in one way or another, uh, and snap being one, uh, so, and that's fine. So, uh, we are adjusting for that and, uh, and, and adding other ways to do, to do that. And now from the part f- with Microsoft specifically, I mean, Canonical, they have a, you know, they have a relationship, but that's, that's not Microsoft pushing there. You know, Microsoft is specifically for WSL. You know, they're they're providing something to to enable Linux to work there. And it happens to be that Canonical was one of the first to do that, but that's pretty much it. Uh now for for the for the calculator part, I mean there's no Microsoft at all. That's just Uno platform. That that we did that. On our own, so there's no there's no pushing of any kind of agenda coming from Microsoft or anyway, right? It just makes a great demo. It it, it does and does and and we're <laughs> and we're not done yet. I mean, there's quite a few things that need to be worked out, like the fact that you cannot use the keyboard keys to change to type in the, in the calculator for now because we we haven't had added uh, the the keyboard the the keystroke support uh, for now. So that's the kind of thing that we're, that is going to evolve. And we've been we've seen the from the uh, from the announcement, people saying, well, that's Microsoft. They're going to invade the Linux space," and they're going to think wish any. No, it's not Microsoft. It's just Uno platform. We like the tech, we like Linux, and we're going there. And the calculator is open source. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. So the last
0: point on the, uh, the Snap thing is my thought about it always is, uh, is that it seems to me having a central software repository that is ran by a company that, uh, you can interface with, right? You can, you can have a relationship with people at Canonical. I think mm-hmm. that is worth something for people that want to distribute software on the Linux platform. And that's generally my answer to all the Snap hate is you have yes. to understand the larger ecosystem.
1: Yeah,
4: it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And it must not be the same. The, the only way to distribute software... Uh, and that's why, that's why being able to distribute as, you know, any kind of other dis- distribution mechanism has to be available and, 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 supported in some ways. Uh, that's why AppImage is amazing because you just pack it every, everything in one ha- one package and then it runs without installing anything. So that's pretty good. Uh, but for people that want to discover the interface, you know, if my application is only distributed on, on GitHub, sure. How, how do I go and find it? You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's quite difficult to get there. Uh, on, on the, on the other end, uh, you know, if you're publishing something on snap and they they you know like apple they don't want to you to distribute any kind of new very specific application because the local laws prevent you from publishing your application there i mean maybe you don't want to abide by that so there's a balance to get somewhere and you know for us, it was about, you know, uh, being able to be published uh, on a, on a store that, that shows the applications there. And, uh, and for people that don't know much about Linux or they, they just, uh, you know, the, the script, the, 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 the kid that wants to have a, you know, that got a Raspberry Pi at, at, uh, at Christmas and then wants to install something and then just happens up to have, uh, Ubuntu running there and then just click through and then just the applications get there. And then they, they kind of end up learning about Linux afterwards. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, that's the kind of scenario I'm looking at. You know, not not the not the the high end tech user that knows how to uh, to to change anything on their platform uh, you know, by heart.
0: Right, we're well, really kind of the future. And tip of the hat to you for taking that feedback and and rolling with it, and then taking action on it and making it available in more ways and targeting what looks like a future generation of developers. Jerome, I'm pretty excited about it. I'll be keeping an eye on the platform. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, of course. Thank you do a little housekeeping, Mr. Payne. Well, let's do it. I encourage you all to join the LUPLUG this Sunday and perhaps into the future because something very fun is beginning to happen over there. They got something special brewing and uh, there's talks, there's recordings, but also another JB Bugathon on November 22nd at noon Pacific in the uh, JB Mumble Room in the lobby there's a new release of Jellyfin in the works. And the developers have reached out in our Matrix Bugathon chat and asked if we would help test it. And the Luplug has stepped up to the challenge. And if you'd like to help test the next release of Jellyfin, you have some time. It's November twenty second as we record this. Hey,
1: that's great. I mean I'm a Jellyfin user myself and it's it's already doing well and this could only make it better. And I've been thinking about switching more and more. It's really nice. Yeah. Just minimal, does what you need,
0: not a lot of fuss. But there could be some talks coming up in there. There's all kinds of stuff in the works, so check it out. Lup Lug. Also, I want to mention if you haven't yet, you might consider grabbing the All Shows feed for Jupiter Broadcasting. Get all the stuff coming out. Wes has now joined me on Linux Action News. Hey! First episode is out. And uh, we're changing just a few things up. I'd love to have you check it out. Not much, just a couple things. Little tweaks here little and there. Little tweaks here and there. So go check out Linux Action News if you haven't for a little bit because we are uh, making it, uh, we're, we're trying to make it um, a little fresh with Wes on there. A little fresh, but with everything you love. Fresh with Wes. Fresh with Wes. So check that out. If you're on the All Shows RSS feed, you're going to get stuff like that just already. just
1: shows up. Yeah.
0: So search for that. There's also a link at jupiterbroadcasting.com. And we'd love to have you get all of the shows. All right, Wes, I think that's all the housekeeping for this week. Nice and tight today. Let's get into some feedback. We have three emails that came into the show. Uh, How about I'll take the first one? You want to do that? Uh, Let's do it. Okay. So Brett writes in, falling for fedora. says, hey, Chris and Wes, long time Ubuntu user. But after listening to your show and after listening to about four months of this, I decided to give Fedora a go. Oh, interesting. So it was also kind of sped up by the timing of a new ThinkPad T14 purchase with. Renault graphics? What do you think, Wes? Re- re- uh, you know what I want to call it, is I want to call it Rainier graphics, but... Uh, only, let's just go with that. Only you and I would get that reference. Uh, he said, I needed kernel kernel 5.6 or above, so I have to say I'm really impressed with Fedora 32, and now I have to decide if I'm going to upgrade to 33 or maybe switch and try Pop OS. <laughs> hey, welcome to my struggle right now. And it's it's bad because uh, I am in that phase where I'm trying to do apt on a DNF box, and I'm doing DNF <laughs> on an app box. You don't know what you're doing. Oh, I it's just, yeah, it really it really is a struggle. So, uh, because, and it does, which, which this is totally my doing, Wes, but it's because I put um, pop theme on all of them. So,
1: <laughs> you know. Yeah, you can't tell what system we're yeah. on. <laughs> I've
0: just really done myself in. Um, I really have been happy with Fedora 33. Are you still running it? Yeah. Yeah. I've been really, really, really happy with it. Uh, there's something just super solid about it, and I, I really like it, but... Um, I also, I also really have been happy with Pop. So you you just gotta you just gotta try them both out and see what works for you. Too many good choices. That's a nice problem. Yeah, he's also gonna give Linode a try. Hey, that's great. Just signed up with our link. Yeah, I'm gonna put Nextcloud on there. Um, he says thanks from New Zealand. That is pretty great. Thanks, Brett, for giving us an update. Good luck on picking your distribution. The nice thing is, is you just have too many good
1: options now. Yeah. Right. And Fedora is definitely one of them. All right, you want to take uh, Adrian's? Adrian writes in, hello there, Chris and Wes. I've been a casual Linux user since 2005, but I've always used a Debian or Ubuntu-based distro. become familiar with Apt and was really not feeling up to learning a new package manager. Uh, Okay, maybe that's a bad excuse, I, I know. But lately, Ubuntu has been acting oddly on my current laptop with Firefox performance, blank screen after resuming from hibernation, other weird display problems, so... I finally decided to give Fedora a spin last week, and I have not had any of the issues since. Huh. Displays are performing as expected, suspend works great, and like you, I find the default setup fairly sparse, but also, I like that I can slowly make the customizations that I want as I want them, and maybe figure out what, if any, extensions are causing me problems.
0: I mean, that is it right there, right? Is it's With Fedora, It's I kind of build it up. To the desktop environment yeah. I want, and with and to to a degree with Ubuntu stock, I kind of build it down a little bit. But I actually really like their default, so I, I almost feel like I need to channel my inner Popey here and say, you know, "Hang on, we need to be fair." Uh, all distros will exhibit problems after you've used them for a while. <laughs> That's Fedora is not immune from this particular right, when problem. When you install a new setup, well, you, you get yeah. a new setup. Uh, but I also, I also totally appreciate, you know, when you're of the opinion like I'd like to jump to something else, start fresh, and just see what it's like. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. That's one of the great things we can do in Linux, and I think you're going to really enjoy it. So give it a spin, see what you think, and uh, and uh, maybe report back after a little bit of usage, Adrian. I'd be curious to know how it goes. Absolutely. Interesting theme there, and not planned. Stefan writes in, I know this is a question often asked and hard to answer. I've been a Linux user since the mid-'90s with Slackware. I've tried most of the distros at one time or another, and currently I'm running a Gen 2 system. Oh, wow. Thing is, I'm kind of tired of having to compile everything. (laughs) (laughs) An honest Gentoo user. Yes, I know. That's how I felt, too. I'm kind of tired of having to compile everything for a little gain in speed. I switched to Gentoo from Manjaro, which was great, but wasn't a fan of the rolling updates. So I'd use Ubuntu, but I don't want to go back to a Debian-style system. I use my system to play Steam and good old, or sorry, GOG games, some minor Python development, and every once in a while, some C and C++. Also, I use a lot of ham radio. So I've got some power to spare on this machine, and... I've used that to dedicate that to Jellyfin or Plex. I'm still deciding. I'm looking at the new and shining. I'm thinking maybe I should go with OpenSUSE or Elementary these days. I'm kind of a fan of KDE5 Plasma. Are there any other distros you would suggest? Thanks for the help. Been a listener for many years on and off. Glad you're still around. Keep up the good work. Well, I'm glad you're still around too, Stefan. I kind of feel like he should. I don't normally say this. Uh-oh. Going
1: rogue. I think he should go OpenSUSE. Plasma.
0: You didn't think know. out. You no, d- you I was not. just going
1: to say uh, you should try Fedora 33 since everyone else is loving it.
0: <laughs> yeah, they, but, okay. There keep is, going. Well, there is a plasma spin of Fedora 33, Indeed. so that is definitely worth mentioning. You could totally give that a go, Stefan. Consider that. But you know, he said in here that he's used Linux and Slackware, and put in his time. If you go over to OpenSUSE as a former Slackware user, you will, I think, notice some lineage there. I think there'll be some comfort there. And they have a killer plasma release. And then I'm going to say this too: if you have made Gentoo work for you, then you're 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 okay with a distro that does things a little differently. And OpenSUSE it does things a little differently. But once you've used it for six months, you wrap your head around it. Yeah. And I think Stefan would be up for a challenge like that. And and it really hits that sweet spot of you can get one that's semi-rolling or you can get one that has stable releases and you can pick and choose. So I think that would be a good candidate for you. All kinds of neat stuff with the open build service and really interesting technical foundations for a- sure. A- Absolutely. And, you know, I, I'm i a big fan of elementary. I put it on my my family's computers. But you have that Ubuntu base there, which you, you said earlier, not a big fan of the Debian bases. So I think your options are to seriously consider OpenSUSE with Plasma or maybe give the old uh, Fedora Plasma spin a try just for, for fun. Um... I will talk about you know that you mentioned Steam and GOG, uh, and I don't have a I don't have extensive OpenSUSE experience here, but I will say it has never been easier to get gaming going on Fedora. There is a flat pack that has a ton of the stuff you need for Steam. You can with one click add the NVIDIA driver repo now if you need in Software Center, and you have the latest and greatest NVIDIA driver. You get a very fresh and current kernel, which I know is also something you're interested in. So consider all of that all those options. I don't know if the story is quite the same on OpenSUSE when it comes to gaming, uh, Python development, you're going to be fine. Ham Radio-wise, you're going to be fine. Jellyfin or Plex, you're, you're going to be fine either way. Maybe give Jellyfin a go, though. And if Jellyfin doesn't work for you, then consider Plex. It's a good way to do it. If you're doing mostly just LAN streaming, too, you, you probably don't need to worry about uh They about also uh,
1: they, they play decently together, too. I have two going, and I point them at the same, you know, the same backing media storage on the file system, and that works great.
0: Yeah, a little a West Payne uh, Media Pro tip right there. I want to thank our Unplugged Core contributors. You can become a member at UnpluggedCore.com, become a core contributor to the show, and you keep the show independent for as long as this show is on the air, but you also help reduce the ad load needed to make the show profitable, and we can be picky about who comes on, which is massive from a content creator standpoint, but you also get a couple of perks as a thank you. You get access to two feeds. You can... I would probably just grab one of them. One is the limited ad version of the show. Same full production with all of Joe's work gone into the mix and the edit. There's just limited ads in that one. Or a second live feed, which is like the exact opposite. All our screw-ups, the stuff that we would maybe have cut from the show for time, uh, before the mix, uh, everything, full pre- and post-shows that happen well, well before we hit record in the main recorder. All of that is in a feed that's available to our members as well. And we also, and I don't normally say this, I should be though, because we work our butt off on this one. We try to get that, that uh, full live feed out as soon as we can after the show. I mean, there's just limits in how fast you can encode and upload large files and, you know, takes us a little bit to get the description written up. But, you know, usually within a half hour of us going off air, within that window of time, maybe maybe an hour, the live full version is available. So if you like to get it as fresh as possible right after the show with no delay for editing and
1: publishing. Or maybe I usually like to show up live, but you you missed it. Yeah. Perfect.
0: That's why we've made that feed available because we're always talking about the live show in the main show. I mean, we're here live. <laughs> yeah. So we wanted to make that available to our core contributors as well. Unpluggedcore.com. Now, a pick this week, I told you about this one earlier, but I don't know if you had a chance to try it, Wes, because I just told you about it like two days ago. Uh, It's called Newsflash, and you'll, you'll have to forgive the cliche term, but it is applicable. It is a, quote, modern, end
1: quote, feed reader designed for the GNOME desktop. It looks pretty nice. You know, I installed it this morning, and I just opened it up right now. Yeah. Okay, so can you tell me a little bit more? So it says it's supposed to integrate with an existing feed reader service. What all can this actually do? So this is the probably
0: most important feature for me in a in a desktop RSS feed reader. I consume tons and tons of feeds for the different shows, tons and tons of feeds. And I was way back in the day. I was a fresh RSS and a tiny tiny RSS guy. And I even was a Google Google Reader. Remember Google Reader guy? Ooh, yes. yeah, I was one of those yes. guys. And uh, I needed something more robust. And Feedly has actually added a lot of compelling features, including a bot that helps me sort news for various shows and whatnot. And they have a training algorithm where I can train it for the type of stories that I like to see. Figures out what you like. Yeah. And I, and I can view in raw mode and filtered mode and all that kind of stuff that I, I just, for the amount of news that is consumed for this show, Linux Action News and Unfilter. It you needed a, I needed a tool for it. And so I ended up using Feedly, but I never was really happy with Feedly being a web app. I would like to have a desktop-native application, something I can sort of just leave open and flip over to when I have a couple of minutes, something that maybe takes advantage of my dark mode properly, integrates in with my GTK theme, and, and that's where Newsflash came in. As I hooked it up, there's several options. Feedly is one of many options that you can connect it to for syncing, including some self-hosted solutions. I hooked it up to my Feedly account. It pulled down all of my feeds. And it has a functionality that I just, I really love. And that is this situation where you get a, an article that only has maybe like an image and the title and a, maybe a one-paragraph description of the story and then you have to go to the website for the rest. For the full thing, yeah, yeah. Well man, I'm trying to I'm trying to tear through stuff and, and read stuff and get an idea if the story is good enough. And I need more than just the headline if I'm gonna make that call. And this has a one button click where it makes a best effort to go out to the website and get the rest of the content of the article, but it displays it in line like it was always meant to be formatted for the feed. So it's a bit of a reader view. That looks really good, oh, and that's what this little book icon is. Okay. Right, you hit that, and it'll go retrieve it for you and p- display it inline. And I, I just love that. And then, of course, it syncs back what you've read and whatnot, and uh, supports the latest GTK design ideas, so all the latest menu standards and the the CSD and all of that. So it's it's a nice Gnome. Desktop app and it's on FlatHub and I, I imagine it's other places as well. I wouldn't be surprised if this this feels like maybe one of those things that was built for maybe Elementary OS. Maybe I'm not sure. I haven't looked in the. It uh, is in, simple, in clean, and functional. Yeah, and it's on FlatHub, so it's just one click away. So it's News Flash, one word, and we'll have a link to that in the show notes. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on it, Wes. You give it a go for a little bit and let me know what you think. Sounds like we've got some IRC folks using it too. Oh yeah. Oh. Linbo or Linmob, you've used it before?
2: Yes, I'm actively using it. Um, I'm using it with a self-hosted Miniflux instance. Miniflux is one of those uh, self-hostable RSS readers. And I uh, can report that Newsflash also works on the PinePhone. Awesome. And uh, it's likely going to work on the Librem 5 too.
0: Oh, so it does. it is designed to scale all the way down. That's so cool. Oh, man, we live in uh, an interesting time for Linux users, I really have to say. Cool. Well, thanks for the direct report there. I've been using it just for, I don't know, half a week. really like it. And I still I still can use Feedly, you know, and everything's synced up, so I really appreciate I am, that I'll, I'll it. I I'll definitely give it a go. You know, Wes, I encourage everyone to join us live. We do this show at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern over at jblife.tv. You can get that converted to your local time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar.
1: See you next week. Same bad time, same bad
0: station. Also, check out our sponsor, A Cloud Guru, on social media. Just find A Cloud Guru at YouTube, Twitter, or Facebook by going to any of those slash A Cloud Guru, and you'll find him on there. Easy. And I mentioned it earlier, but do check out Linux Action News if you haven't for a little bit. Wes has joined me now, cooking up something really great for this week's episode. And um, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm happy. I'm really happy with the way it turned out. I was, we didn't really know because we, you know, we had to kind of ask ourselves what we want to tweak about it, and we didn't tweak much, and I'm really happy with what we it's landed on. It's the
1: same, a little different. Yeah. Check it out. It's
0: linuxactionnews.com for that. Links to everything we talked about, that's on our website at linuxunplugged slash 378, where you can also get subscribed, you can find the mumble room, the chat info, all of that is linked up at the top of linuxunplugged.com. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of The Unplug Program. See you back here next Tuesday. Speaking of the virtual lug, I wanted to pick Mini Mix Brain because last week you mentioned to me that you were going to try recording the LUP Lug. Uh, did you give it a go? How'd it turn out? So, uh,
2: Chris, honestly, I think we are really up into something here. So, we had our first recorded LUP Lug session. What we technically do, in fact, in Mumble is we create just a recording room and then go in there, and anyone who wants to record, records it. So, we have multiple copies of the recording. And then someone prepares a topic, in that case it was me. We talked about shortcuts, mouse buttons, and mouse gestures. And then we had like a discussion for about 45 minutes. And then uh, it was really, 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 really cool. And now we were so happy about the result that we decided that we want to do that like once a month. And during our weekly meetings, we can discuss a topic. And the one who proposed a topic that is accepted by the others can prepare a talk and can also be host of the topic in then that recorded dublock session. So like we can earn ourselves a little podcast experience after listening to the master. Now we can try ourselves, you see. <laughs> now we also have like people like computer kid that offered uh, his help for editing. And the last question would be how we publish all these recordings but oh. well, we can talk about that afterwards yeah. because well we have recordings so we could do something like a monthly rss feed and publish our recordings yeah totally isn't that a great possibility for the jb community just to give you also some some feedback to participate and and yeah do some stuff i we are really up into something here i'm really happy.
0: That's really exciting. I would, yeah, let's definitely talk more about like an RSS feed. And you know, something I've always fantasized about is a, uh, is revamping the JB live FM stream to have more community content Ooh, on yeah. it and more current content when we're not actually live, but programming to some degree. But I, that's always like a, like when I have time for 20% project kind of thing. That's when I want to do that. But we could definitely set up an RSS feed a lot sooner than that. So we'll start rubbing our uh, brain noodles together on that one. I bet we can figure something out. Really kind of neat thing to watch it watch it, it grow. Is, that's
1: really cool. And I love the uh, Powered by Mumble.